Welcome to Blissful Hiking Adventures, where we put the bliss into hiking and hiking into the adventure. I'm your host, Loralee Bliss, trail name Blissful. And coming to you having accomplished many trails, both high in altitude and low at sea level. But coming to you really with words of wisdom, experience, and yeah, plenty of lessons I've learned along the way in the hopes that you'll find a blissful hiking adventure in your future and you'll be able to fulfill your hiking dream. Welcome to episode three in the Blissful Hiking Adventures. We're gonna be talking about the wonders of hiking and exploring our national parks. Our national parks, yes, often called the People's Parks first established back in the 1800s with the establishment of Yellowstone National Park. It is amazing what the national park system has now become since that time. Many parks have been added. A Department of Interior was set up to oversee the parks. There were enthusiastic individuals then at that time whose dream was not only to preserve the parks and their beautiful and majestic features, and fascinating wildlife, but they were there especially so people could enjoy them. They ranged from the wonders of a volcano actively spewing out its lava into the ocean in in the island of Hawaii, to the Everglades of Florida with its fascinating assortment of birds and alligators to the lofty summit of Mount Rainier. And then, of course, not far from where I'm located, to the beauty of the Blue Ridge of Shenandoah. The parks in the National Park Service are unique in their own right and fascinating and beautiful, too. They are a reason to celebrate, visit, and explore, and especially through hiking and backpacking in them. I've had the pleasure of visiting many of our national parks over the last course of many years, actually. I've not been able to do as much backpacking in them as I would have preferred, but hiking in them and visiting them has been an absolute joy for me. I even had my honeymoon set in the islands of Hawaii and spent part of that time at the Hawaii Volcanoes National Park where we were watching lava flow into the ocean and looking at black sand beach and thinking what a fascinating place this is. But my adventures in national parks began when I was very little. I had a traveling family that would go by camper. At that time, we had a tent. Then we went to a tent camper. And then we went to a recreation vehicle RV that we would affectionately call Bessie. And we would take several weeks every summer to go exploring our national parks. So I had the privilege of going out to the fascinating beauty of Glacier National Park in Montana, to the beautiful canyons and arches of Utah, to the wonder of Carlsbad Caverns in southern New Mexico, And then, of course, some of the eastern parks as well to Acadia with its beautiful crashing waves on black rocky shores. 
And then, of course, Shenandoah, which became an avenue for me to one day complete the Appalachian Trail, which I did twice, and you can hear more about in episode two of an interview that describes some of my trail hikes and those that I've accomplished. So I've had a chance to do quite a few adventures, especially in my youth. So that I extended that to my family when I got married and I had the traveling bug within me and said, we need to go traveling and we need to go hiking in these beautiful national parks. So whenever we go to the national parks, of course, you pay your entry fee and you get this interesting little pamphlet and then you decide what are the best hikes to do in the parks to get the best views and the best highlights of that park. So one of the parks I really enjoyed was Yosemite. And we go into Yosemite and Yosemite is one of the older parks actually in the park system. Um, Fascinatingly beautiful with its huge waterfalls cascading off these granite cliffs. It's amazing actually saw Yosemite for the very first time before I was married for a special meeting I went to out in California, took a side trip to Yosemite, and just spent some time basically just traveling around and do as much hiking as I'd wanted to because I only had one day in the park, which is definitely not enough time in Yosemite. But the awe of the place was absolutely incredible, and I could see now, after um, watching the PBS special on our national parks, why John Muir just found so much wondrous beauty and actually able to pen some beautiful words about the significance of God and nature in our national parks. Um, His words resonate even today. When the mountains call, we must go, right? So, So seeing some of these stupendous things before I was married and then now being married and saying, we're gonna go travel to these national parks One time we did a journey back to Yosemite, first went um, through the uh, um, deserts of California, through Death Valley area, and then headed north, entering Sequoia National Park. And I'd never been there. And seeing these giant sequoia trees was like something out of like Jack and the Beanstalk. When you're seeing trees that are towering so high above you, it's unimaginable. Come to find out the sequoias, um, when they have their big, huge sequoia-type pine cones, found out from a ranger that in order for those pine cones to be released, they must have fire. So I know we hear how bad sometimes wildfires can be in the different park systems and the different lands out west, but in some areas, wildfires are a necessity so that the pine cones or the sequoia cones or whatever <laughs> you would refer to, I'm not much of a botanist in that area, but they would release their seeds to begin a new set of sequoia trees. So, But these trees are magnificent, very old, and they were amazing to look at. The best part is, though, is that we decided, since all the campgrounds were full in Sequoia, to go to one of the um, nearby national forests right near Sequoia, which still had big trees in it, and just pull off on a side road there and set up a camp. And that's what we did. And 
a lot of the national parks do have the paid um, campgrounds that you can just pull in and be with everybody. Or you can look for some of those national forest sites surrounding the national parks and escape into there if you want to set up a campsite and you don't have to pay a fee and you can enjoy a nice wondrous setting out there in the woods um, by yourself. And that's what we did actually outside of Sequoia National Park. We had a, found a big rock that served as our picnic table and we just had a really nice time. So after that, we entered Kings Canyon National Park, which is just kind of north and what would I say, east of Sequoia, home to uh, Mount Whitney, which is the tallest peak in the continental United States, not the tallest peak in the U.S. That would be Denali up in Alaska. But So Kings Canyon is interesting because it's mostly all hiking and backpacking. There is very little in a park road um, to tour around in Kings Canyon. It's mainly for hiking. So especially for those interested in the John Muir Trail. That's the one that goes through, um, kind of starts in Yosemite and heads south and ends at Mount Whitney. That is a trail that will cut through part of Kings Canyon, so you can really enjoy some of those beautiful features of the Sierra Nevadas there. So we did do some hiking there. Not a whole lot, but able to see some of the beauty of that canyon area. And then headed north into Yosemite. Uh, Yosemite has some beautiful areas, a huge um, grove of big giant trees, the Mariposa Grove. It has the Yosemite Valley with Yosemite Falls. Um, it has Glacier Point, which is this road that goes up to this, I think, the most beautiful view I've ever seen overlooking the entire Yosemite Valley and um, Half Dome. It's amazing. And then I'm probably going to mispronounce it, but Talumine, I'm probably going to say that wrong, Meadows, which is the northern part of Yosemite. Um, part of the Pacific Crest Trail goes through that area as well. Um, Yosemite requires bear canisters in order to hike and backpack in the areas. Um, the John Muir Trail goes through there, the Pacific Crest, other trails. So if you're looking to do any hard backpacking in Yosemite, be sure to check out their website for what the rules and regulations are because they're fairly strict because you're dealing with grizzlies out in the west coast. Again, we didn't do overnighting there. We did just some general hiking. Um, went to, believe, Nevada Falls and um, just enjoyed some of the beauty of these magnificent falls, which are at their peak actually in June and just cascading down. Um, superb. So, some other national parks I've been able to enjoy. One of them, many years later, was returning to California to go to Lassen Peak. We decided to do some national park observations in June when we felt there wouldn't be a lot of people. You know, you get a lot of the vacationers start up in July and August for some of the uh, national park systems because that's when people's vacations are. So we decided to head out in June and found out that early June, there's still a lot of snow in the high country. So arrived at Lassen Peak, which is a, you would call an inactive volcano, but it's part of that ring of fire, which extends from Washington State through Oregon um, and into Northern California. So Lassen Peak, Mount Shasta, some of the uh, peaks through Oregon, heading into Washington State, all part of the ring of fire or 
volcanic region. So Lassen Peak still has some volcanic activity, which we could see, but my primary purpose was to climb Lassen Peak. So I brought my yak tracks, which are these uh, traction devices you put on the bottom of your shoes to help you in snow and ice because there was snow all over Lassen Peak. And my husband and I started to climb and my husband decided to let me finish it. So began that walk up. The first part, there was no snow, ended up going into the snowy regions. And the trail actually had to climb up out of the caldera part of the volcano to get to the summit. And it was a very steep pitch, completely covered in snow. And talk about extremely scary because if you slip, you fall into the caldera which is this, you know, basically the gaping mouth of this ancient volcano. So not a good scenario. And thankfully, there was a wonderful Asian hiker that was ahead of me, and he had reached the peak first, and he actually helped me up over that very icy, snowy part to get to the summit. And at the top, he actually handed me a flask, and we celebrated <laughs> summiting Lassen Peak. You know, that was really kind of fun. Um, and then I had, of course, kind of shimmy my way back down that thing. So, but that was a fascinating adventure, um, on Lassen Peak. So we headed north then to Crater Lake, which is another, um, ancient volcano that's filled with, um, America's deepest lake. So a beautiful lake has a little island in the center of it too. Very picturesque. Again, though, lots of snow. Some of the snowbanks, I have pictures of my husband standing near a snowbank. It's at least three times as high as he is. <laughs> so as far as being able to do any hiking around Crater Lake, it was totally impossible. So again, some of these areas, Lassen Peak, Crater Lake, um, the Pacific Crest Trail or PCT will kind of skirt around some of these areas. So I think, though, in order to enjoy them more, you'll probably have to get off the PCT to some side trails to kind of go to some of the more um, scenic parts to observe the best of the national parks. So, so unfortunately, we weren't able to see as much of Crater Lake as I'd hoped, but got a taste of it, and it was the first time I'd ever seen it, so I was thankful to see it. And then we... Um, continued heading north into Washington State and ended up in Olympic National Park, which is near the Pacific Ocean um, shoreline there. Again, with some magnificent old trees, um, hundreds of years old, just beautiful specimens there. And then, of course, the rocky shoreline of Olympic, which my husband enjoys because he loves the ocean. He is a scuba diver, so he likes that kind of thing, finding starfish and shells and beautiful rocks and so um, very different type of park than some of the other parks I visited which goes to show the uniqueness of our national park system. So that was a fascinating trip that I took to the western parts of um, the United States. I've also visited many of the parks in Utah. Utah is home to quite a few national parks, actually. In fact, I think the entire state is probably a national park. 
But the beauty of each of these national parks goes without saying. They're absolutely beautiful. You have arches with its unique arch structures. One of the favorite hikes there is to um, Delicate Arch, which acts if you try to do during the day. It can get up to over 100 degrees and in full sun. So a lot of people like to do an evening walk and watch the sun set behind the arch. So that's really a beautiful part of the uh, of the park. And then you go on, there's Canyonlands, which is absolutely fascinating too, south of Arches. And then you go more in the center of the state, you get to Capitol Reef, um, and then Bryce Canyon, which has some very unique trail systems that goes within the canyon to rock formations that are called hoodoos, which are kind of fun to look at. One of the hoodoos is called Thor's Hammer, and it's just this big rocky spiral with a little knot on the top. Unfortunately, I'm only doing a podcast, so maybe I'll do a webinar on national parks so I can show you some pictures of these fascinating places. So it's not just me speaking, but you get to see pictures. Probably some of you are um, auditory learners, which is why you love podcasts. For me, I am also a visual learner, so seeing pictures of these places actually is kind of fun for me too. So, But if you can envision these spirals, many, many, many spirals all in rows lining the canyon floor, that's Bryce Canyon, so that's fascinating. And then a little more southern and west in Utah is Zion. And Zion is home to some fascinating formations as well big tall canyon like no, i mean not canyon but cliff rock faces and then um you get to do a little trail through water called the narrows and you have to be careful though because if there's been any thunderstorm activity it can send water rushing into that canyon type area of the narrows so you got to be very careful and time it correctly so you are not putting yourself in danger but some pretty areas there as well to explore so as I mentioned, I've also gone north um, up into Montana and have seen Glacier again. Um, it has a road that travels up into the mountainous areas. There's plenty of trails to see beautiful waterfalls. It has its own small, it has its own, I wouldn't call small, but a nice lake function with these glaciers behind it that's really beautiful to see. And then heading south from Montana, you hit, of course, the oldest park in the park system, which is Yellowstone National Park. Famous, of course, for Old Faithful Geyser and its numerous um, volcanic-type activity in geysers and mud pots and fascinating features like that but also has its own canyon and has Yellowstone Falls which we were able to see with a rainbow across it so Yellowstone is one of the areas I actually did do some backpacking um, this was a couple years ago so we decided why not try to do a night out in a geyser area I thought that would be kind of cool so we met with a ranger, and normally what you would do is when you go into the national park, you find out what their backcountry regulations are. Every park can be different. Most require a permit. Sometimes you have to pay for it. Sometimes you don't. It's free. It just depends on the park. 
With Yellowstone, we had to go through a, a little session with the ranger where he went over the regulations, and then we had to watch a video on how to be safe in grizzly country. So it required us to have, we had some bear spray with us. It required you to know how to use the bear spray, you know, so you know what you're doing with it. But all the, the national parks are all different with what they require for permitting to be in the park. But most of the time, I would say probably at least 95% of the time you need a permit to be camping in the park. They'll give you a map of where the camping destinations are in some parks they assign you your campsite. And so it was in Yellowstone. We were assigned a campsite not far from the Shoshone Geyser Basin area. So that is the site we were going to be. Um, same with like the Smoky Mountains. They, you have to reserve a site, a specific site in a specific area. In some places, it's not that way. Um, they may give you a map with suggestions on where campsites are and you can go where you want. So it just depends on the national park, what their regulations are. So it's your responsibility, of course, as a backpacker to know what the regulations are and that you're ready to go. And I don't have time in the podcast to share about all the gear you need, but safe to say that depending on the national park you're at, if you're at elevation, you need to make sure you have all the gear you need for elevation. If you're going to be in more desert-like conditions, you want to make sure you're carrying as much water as you need, sunscreen, and other sun protection. So you want to be safe. And if you're going to be in grizzly country, you want to make sure if, say, in Yosemite, that you have your bear canister ready to go and you have an approved bear canister. There are some parks like Yosemite, there's only certain bear canisters they want you to have. So that's something you need to find out ahead of time as well. So we decided to, of course, as I mentioned, do one night in Yellowstone and come to find out in a lot of these different parks, you must make sure you have good bug repellent and good uh, uh, bug netting and head net and everything because we actually, we went early in the season and there was still some snow around, which meant the mosquitoes were out like you wouldn't believe. And they would come out in different times. They'd come out in the early evening and then they'd be out again in the morning. And they'd be out in like swarms and you could hear the swarms coming up and it's just a <laughs> weird buzzing sound and everything. So, But before we got to our campsite and had to endure the mosquito swarm, we actually walked through some of the Shoshone geyser basin and it's just nothing like walking through a geyser basin and seeing these little geysers popping up everywhere and you're the only one seeing them. I mean, in other places in Yellowstone, you're crowded with a bunch of other tourists staring at these geyser formations on boardwalks, you know, and pushing your way through. But in this place, like the Shoshone Geyser Basin, when you're out in the backcountry, it's your own little paradise out there. And you're seeing these wonderful little geysers spurting here and there, and it's really cool. So we got to enjoy that and some bubbling pots and see some of these formations and then headed to our campsite. And it wasn't long after we got there that we heard this really loud buzzing sound and suddenly these swarms of mosquitoes were coming after us. So basically we did have the netting, but anything that wasn't covered in DEET, that included the top of your lip, the tip of your elbow, whatever they would bite. So we realized we really had to just stay in our tents the rest of the night because they were so bad. And then during the night they dissipate. And then you have maybe an hour or two in the morning before they come out again. So <laughs> it's almost like one of those guys like start to toot their horn, do, 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 and they all come running, you know. 
So the next morning, we packed up rather hurriedly to avoid the mosquito swarm and headed back out. And as we did in the distance, we could see another geyser erupting. And this was actually one of Shenandoah's big geysers. It's called the Lone Star Geyser. And it doesn't go off very often, but this time it was going off just as we arrived. It was amazing. Again, I have to do a webinar so you can see a picture of it. But we arrived just as the geyser was going off. And in the middle of the geyser was a gorgeous rainbow. No kidding. It was beautiful. So, of course, got pictures. That was just a wonderful time in Yellowstone, um, even with the mosquitoes, you know, in the Shoshone Geyser Basin, and then seeing the Lone Star Geyser shooting off like that was was really beautiful. So, so I've done a lot, or majority, I'd say, of my backpacking, though, in the east, um, especially as I've done the Appalachian Trail a couple times. I've done the Smoky Mountains three times now on the Appalachian Trail, which is the Smoky Mountain National Park. And then, of course, Shenandoah I've done multiple times because I worked in Shenandoah National Park as a ridge runner. I talk about ridge running actually in episode one, which actually talks about enduring the COVID virus issue as a hiker. And that was kind of yucky for 2020. <laughs> so if you want to review um, that, that's in episode one. But a ridge runner takes care of the Appalachian Trail, helping hikers, discovering the trail conditions, Staying out with hikers all night, every night, you know, with them. Um, and just being the eyes and ears for the National Park Service. So I did that for a number of years. So got to do a lot of hiking in a national park in Shenandoah. So each of those deal with what's uh, called not the grizzly, but the black bears. So not as aggressive, of course. You treat them totally differently, but still have to be careful with your food. In each of the national parks, they do have bear-proof type um, either cables or they have bear boxes or things like that, but you still need to be careful with your food. Each of these national parks have their own permitting system. Um, for instance, Great Smokies, if you're going to be just hiking in the park alone, you must have reservations for each shelter. In Shenandoah, you don't need reservations, but you do need a backcountry permit. So again, each national park has its own regulations for backcountry camping. So again, that's your responsibility. And a nice thing is the website is easy to navigate on the National Park Service to find out what you need and just or just type in, you know, backcountry regulations for Smoky Mountains or Shenandoah or wherever you're going, you know, is helpful. So so the park there, the parks there are absolutely beautiful, but I feel, especially after being in both parks and doing the trails through each of the parks, that the beauty of the national parks of the Smokies and Shenandoah found on its side trails. Um, you really don't see a whole lot of the park, especially in Shenandoah, which the Appalachian Trail kind of uh, straddles along the top ridge line of that, going back and forth along the Skyline Drive. So you get some views and like that, but as far as waterfalls and other scenic areas, tackling the side trails of the park is really wonderful. So having maps of the area helps you determine where to go. And a nice thing about social media as well is there's actually Facebook groups and other groups that talk about certain national parks and what they have to offer, such as I've come up with a group on uh, Facebook called Shenandoah National Park Hikers. So if you go there and ask to join, we talk about hiking in the park. We talk about what's the best trails to hike, where's the best places to backcountry camp, um, questions or and sharing just our journey and through pictures and stories. So 
So, but there's a number of places, especially on Facebook and other areas where you can join a group and find out, hey, what's the best hiking in some of our national parks and get some ideas that way. So it makes it really nice. So, so as, uh, the Smokies as well, um, the Appalachian Trail goes through the heart of the Smokies too. Um, it actually goes over Klingman's Dome, which is the tallest peak actually on the AT, believe it or not. You'd think it's in the White Mountains, but it's not. It's down in Klingman's Dome in a national park. So that's kind of interesting to, um, to do and, and, to, and to visit. But again, there's numerous side trails also in the Smoky Mountains that are absolutely worth your time. But the Smokies are pretty particular about their backcountry regulations. And again, you must um, be sure you have reserved your campsites ahead of time. You know, they have a big reservation system online that you go through to get that. So another park I wanted to talk about is actually in the Everglades of Florida. Now I've done the Florida Trail all 1,100 miles. The Florida Trail itself doesn't go, go through right through the boundary of the National Park of the Everglades, but it, uh, it does go through um, Big Cypress National Preserve, which is just east of it, and you're basically seeing what it's like to be in the Everglades. And come to find out the Everglades National Park was actually established to protect the birds that were there. Um, long ago in our history, women liked to wear these fashionable hats that had bird feathers in it. That's just was the rage back then. And the bird feathers were gotten from birds that actually would um, live in Florida. And after a while, conservationists and others were alarmed at how many birds were being used for these hats. And so they decided they wanted to preserve parts of the wetlands in Florida to preserve the bird population. And so that's one of the main reasons that the Everglades came about was to protect the birds. And if you go to Florida, I like visiting Florida actually in the wintertime. Um, but if you go there, you can see quite a variety of fascinating birds um, that will come. And then, of course, there's bird migrations there to shoot the southern regions, you know, in the wintertime. So, but the bird populations are absolutely fascinating. And so... It was also, the Florida Everglades were also established because they decided to, they were thinking of starting to build up more resort areas, extending out from Miami and other places um, through some of the wetlands as well. So they decided to, to preserve the wetland areas from, you know, building and uh, population and like that as well. So... The national parks have become areas to protect the wilderness feel and wilderness areas. And each of them are unique with special places all their own and are absolutely fascinating to explore by trail or just to explore on your own. So I hope this gives you an idea anyway of what it's like to enjoy our national parks through the trails and to see what a wonder they are and in their diversity and varying wildlife and scenic beauty, too, that you'll get a chance to really explore um, some of these wonderful national treasures that actually were established as people's parks. So thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. You have been listening to the Blissful Hiking Adventures podcast. Be sure never to miss an episode by subscribing to this podcast 
And feel free to also leave a review as I value your opinion. Be sure to check out show notes and other valuable hiking information at blissfulhiking.com, including my hiking adventure series of books, Mountains, Madness, and Miracles, 4,000 Miles Along the Appalachian Trail, and Gators, Guts, and Glory, Adventures Along the Florida Trail, both available now. Blissful Hiking Adventures is part of the Whitefire Podcast Network. Visit whitefire.tv slash podcast to find other shows I know you'll love. See you next time.